Father, we've come to the time in this service when we open your word and we glean from its pages insight for living. God, so many times we bring ourselves before you and we lay ourselves bare upon the altar in your presence because everything is naked before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You know us. We don't have to put on any airs or play any games of charades. We know that you know all about us and you know our heart. Even our thoughts are known to you. And I ask you, O Lord, to touch us right now as we delve into this treasure of information for living. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 77. Many years ago, I was scheduled to preach a meeting in West Tennessee in the Memphis area. And in order to accommodate my preaching on Sunday morning here and then preaching there that Sunday night, uh, the church there arranged for me to fly. And uh, so I walked right out of the pulpit here and went to Oxford to the airport and got on a private plane uh, with a gentleman that flew me to Memphis. <laughs> that was quite an experience. After we'd got out a good ways from Oxford and well on our way to western Tennessee, he said, would you like to fly? And I said, sure. And with that, he took the plane off of cruise control or autopilot, I guess it's called, and he said, would you like to take the controls? And I said, yeah, sure. He said, well, there's really only one instrument on this panel that you really need to look at. And it's called an altimeter. And it tells you the information, how you relate to the horizon, how the nose of this plane relates to the horizon. It's called an altimeter. And he said, the trick to flying is always keep your nose up. Nose up. And then he said something that really shook me a little bit. He said, if you don't do it, we'll crash and burn. Well, you know, a lot of people in life crash and burn. And it's very sad when someone that knows the joy of the Lord, has had the joy of the Lord, has experienced uh, great things in their life, miracles even, and God's supplying needs and doing all kinds of things, yet they reach a place in their life where they crash and burn. And they, it's in times like that that many people form opinions. I say they form a theology. All of us has a theology. You know that, don't you? Every one of us in this room have an idea of what we think God is, who He is, what He does, how He feels about all, of, how He feels about us, how He feels about this world. You know, there are categories that philosophies place people in. Number one is called a, a theist. Theist. T-H-E-I-S-T. Theist. A theist is a person who believes in God. A theist is a person who believes that God intervenes in our lives. A theist is a person that believes the Bible. A theist is a person that believes in prayer. A theist is a person that believes in going to church. A theist is the person that we all want to be in the eyes of God. But there is another category of people, and uh, they are made known by the 
prefix that is put before the word theist. And it's from a Latin word which negates everything that comes after it. And it is just simply the word A. One letter word, A. You put A before theist and you've got atheist. And that means a person that does not know God. A person that does not believe there is a God. A person that thinks that God is just a figment of your imagination. One who believes that you are just been given a crutch to limp on that's called being a Christian and being a, a servant of God. Their idea of, of God is in your mind that you have created this illusion that there's no such thing as a creator God. There's no such thing as a God in heaven. There is not a God of judgment. There's not a God of eternity. That is all the figment of someone's speculation. And it doesn't exist. That's called an atheist. There's another person that's called an agnostic. An agnostic is one who says, well, if there is a God, he doesn't care anything about us. And if there is a God, there may be, there may not be. But if there is one, he's not going to intervene and he's not going to have anything to do with us. So if there is a God, maybe, maybe not be. But if there is, he doesn't care anything about us. He's not going to church. He's not going to serve communion. He's not going to preach messages. He's not going to pray prayers. He's not going to do anything because in his mind, there is no God. But if there is, he doesn't care anything about us. Now, I want to tell you, I'm glad I'm a theist. I hope you're a theist. I hope you're a theist. The devil would love to make you an atheist. The devil would love to make you an agnostic, a critic, a skeptic. The devil would like to cause you to get to a place where you didn't know for a certainty that the things I've talked about, the Christian faith, that you really embrace and that you really believe. That what we say about God is really true. I wonder in this house, how do you know there's a God? No answers. I went through a line at a cafeteria one day and there was a blessed lady serving. And I just sensed the Spirit of the Lord when I went by it. I said, ma'am, have you got the Holy Ghost? She said, he abides, he abides. I said, how do you know that he abides? She said, because I feels him. I feel him. You believe that God is a God you can feel? You mean that God is a God whose presence is detectable? They mean there's a God who is so alive that He intervenes into our lives and every good and perfect gift comes from Him and that He arranges things in our life to help us learn life lessons and help make us stronger and help us more knowledgeable and more experienced at this thing called life? You mean there's a God like that? Do you believe that that God cares about you? The Bible that I preach out of says, cast all of your care upon Him because He cares about you. There are so many things that would cause you to despair today. 
Oh, there's not a shortage on things to really be upset, distressed, disappointed, discouraged. Oh, we can go through all of that line, but it would be fruitless because all of those things are wrapped up in one big bundle and dealt with by the grace of God. All of those things that are so important to you aren't really much of a problem for Him. Amen. You know, when you can't understand the, the track and the path, what you have to do is understand and love the shepherd. Because where He leads, He feeds. And where He guides, He provides. Because He is our shepherd of our souls. That great shepherd of the sheep. The Bible calls him. But that does not mean that we are insulated and that nothing ever bad will happen to us because frightening as it is, sometimes bad things do happen to good people. There are times when unexplainable things happens to very, very good people. Some of the best people that I know on the face of the earth live with awesome burdensome problems and things, challenges in their life. I know of men that have preached the gospel and declared themselves celibate because in their mind for them to marry again would be a, 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 a adulterous situation. So rather than even take that risk, they, they never marry again and preach the rest of their lives celibate. Why? Why would a person do that? Why would you believe something so strongly that you would take a very active position like that and live that out? You see, to know God and to love God and to experience God means that sometimes you walk through the fire and sometimes you walk through the flood. Sometimes you walk through the pandemic and sometimes you walk through disturbing news and and bad diagnosis, and all kinds of things that come your way. But as I said earlier in the Psalm 107, nevertheless, nevertheless, the Hebrew children said to Nebuchadnezzar, nevertheless, we've made up our minds that we're not going to defile our bodies with the king's meat nor the king's drink. Daniel said, O king, live forever, but here's the way it is. I'm going to serve the Lord. James and John was in the inner prison and, and said, we've decided it's better to obey God than it is man. You see, if you've made that decision in your heart and made that decision in your mind and you've embraced God as your creator God and as the lover of lost souls and the one who intervened into the human condition and gave us the glorious presence of His Son among us who died for us, He has touched by the feeling of our infirmities. You know, the Psalms of Lament are bluntly and brutally honest about the difficulties in our lives. Their presence in Scripture suggests that God invites us to share with Him the pain of our experiences. God says to you, it's all right, it's okay not to be okay. God says... It's all right for you to be mad at me because you don't understand. God says it's all right for you to pour out your heart to me because he said I've given you language to use. The 
biggest category of psalms there is that use all of that language that you want to. Hallelujah. Because the language of the lament psalms tell us to make our requests known unto the Lord. Tell Him how you feel. Tell Him how you feel. Tell Him how you hurt. Tell Him about the pain. Tell him about the rejection. Tell him about the loneliness. Tell him about the fear. Tell him about all of those things. It's okay with him for you not to be okay. It's okay with him for you to say to him some things that you wouldn't otherwise say if anyone else was listening. How are we able to do that? My Savior hung on a cross and one of the sayings from the cross was this, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? If it's all right for Jesus to say that to God, you better know it's all right for you to say that to God. That when nights become so full of despair, when days are long and weary, when it seems like there's no comfort anywhere, when it seems that you're, you're discomfited every way that you turn, when it seems that there's no one that understands, when it seems that you, your friends have all walked out and you don't know what way you're go, which way you're going, you're at your wit's end, it's all right to tell God all of those things because He has them written in His Word. And you can use His Word if you want to. You can use the words of various writers. But if you're waiting to make sense of it all, that's not going to happen. There's going to have to time a, come a time in your life when you turn it loose and give it to God. There's going to have to come a time in your life when you stop struggling and wrestling with it and fighting against it and turn it over to God and give it to Him. He said, cast all of your care upon Him because He cares about you. Cares about you. And the one who cares about you says, talk to me. Talk to me. Tell me how you feel. Tell me what's going on in your heart. Tell me what's going on in your mind. The Bible said that the writer of this psalm, Asaph, he first made his petition known unto the Lord and talked to God about how bad his situation was. And I want to tell you, the Bible said, the Lord's heart is touched by the feeling of our infirmities. His heart is touched by the feeling. You know what feeling is, don't you? It's an emotion. God is touched by the emotion that's troubling you. Fear is an emotion, isn't it? Loneliness is an emotion. Rejection is an emotion. Disappointment is an emotion. That job that you wanted so bad, and you prayed, and you claimed it, and said, God, you're going to give this to me. I qualify for it, and I've worked hard, and I've been faithful, and I've been a, a good employee, and I deserve this raise, and I deserve this position, and I claim it right now. But it doesn't happen. 
and suddenly you're faced with options. I can sit and soak and sour. Or I can say, God, I trust you. All my days are in your hands. All my life is in your hands. You said no good thing from me you would withhold. So God, if that was good for me and you wanted me to have it, it would have happened that way. And it's mine to accept your will and accept your way. Lord, I want that man. I love that man so much. God, I pray, oh God, in Jesus' name, help him to notice me. God, help us to get together and have and married and have a life together. But it don't happen. And suddenly you got a decision to make. How you're going to handle this. Am I going to be mad at God and pout with God and sit off somewhere in a corner Lose my song, lose my joy, lose my peace of mind, and suddenly I'll be, sit somewhere becoming more bitter every day. You can either go that route or you can go the other route. You can go the nevertheless route. The nevertheless says, nevertheless, God is good. Nevertheless, God is good. M. Scott Peck famously says in the opening lines of his book, The Road Less Traveled. Life is difficult. This is a great truth, one of the greatest truths. It is a great truth because once we clearly see this truth, we can transcend it. It's important to be real with yourself. It's important to be real with others. And it's important to be real with God. It's important... It's okay to admit that things are tough. It's okay for you to have problems and not be all that people expect you to be. None of us are. I said none of us are. But the good news is that it doesn't have to be the end of the story. Christians and Jews alike believe that it's not the end of the story. Rather, the end of the cosmic redemptive story that God is unfolding in history about salvation and liberation and reconciliation and restoration. It's creation and new life and new beginnings. John's gospel says it well. The light shines in the darkness. But sometimes the darkness just doesn't comprehend it. God is always shining. God is always sharing and shedding light. God is light Himself, and we are the children of light. And God wants us to walk in the light as He is in the light. But sometimes it's hard to accept the light. If you're in a dark room and somebody turns on the light, what happens to your eyes? They begin to water and blink and say, whoa, cut that light out. Sometimes the darkness does not want the light to penetrate. Sometimes the hard, cold, bitter truth is so unpleasant that we don't want it to penetrate the darkness. Sometimes we just need to get somewhere and pull ourselves on an altar. You know, an altar is not necessarily a piece of furniture. Every one of you in this house right now are at an altar. Every one of you are. And what you do with the Word of God 
is going to decide what happens today for you at the altar. The altar is in your heart. The altar is in your mind. The altar is right there in that seat with you right now. And the question is, what am I going to do with the Word of God? What am I going to do with the promises of God? What am I going to do with what God's Word says to me? We have to come to those conclusions, and we have to get those things taken care of. The Bible scholar Walter Brueggemann says this, The hope is rooted precisely in the midst of loss and darkness, where God surprisingly is present. Wow. The Jewish reality of the exile and the Christian confession of crucifixion and the cross, the honest recognition that there is an untamed darkness in our life that must be embraced, all of that is fundamental to the gift of new life. Well, I know that in this world there are a lot of people that only want to tickle your ears and only want to tell you things that make you feel good and, and, and leave excited. But that's not all of the gospel. The gospel says, Jesus says this, in this world, you will have tribulations. The Bible tells us very bluntly that there's going to be some things in life that are difficult for us to bear. There are going to be some tough times. But God isn't absent. God's with you. God is present in the darkness, walks with you through the flood, with you in the furnace, with you in the fire, with you in the lion's den, with you in the valley fighting the giant. He's right there. Nevertheless, God is good. But sometimes we just don't accept that light and accept what God is doing in our hearts and in our lives. God does a lot of things in our life to teach us lessons but He never leaves us. I said He never leaves us. He's there in the operating room. He's there no matter what's going on and what's, what's happening. He's a God that can do what no other power can do. He's a God who is touched by the feeling of our infirmities. I trust in God's unfailing love. I trust in His unfailing love. He never, ever fails me in loving me. Never quits loving me. Never stops loving me. And what happens in my life is not that much of an indication of how much He loves me. Sometimes we think God is to blame for everything wrong that happens. God doesn't blow up the towers at 9-11. God did not blow the hurricane across Florida and do all that hurt and all that destruction. God didn't do that. He gets the blame for that, and Christians get the blame for that, but God didn't. Why do those things happen? Why do things occur in the world? And why do things like that happen? Because this world is broken. Because this world is not God's world, this, this world is a godless world. And the Bible says the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine unto them that they might be saved. God wants everybody to get saved. 
What a wonderful place this would be if we could just all get saved. If we could just all get to the place where God wants us to be. And he's working on that very diligently, trying to get us to that place. Psalm 13 says, But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing unto the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. You see, the one good thing about these lament psalms is that they all turn around. They've all got a place where they get to a moment when everything changes. Isn't that great? That we can pour out our heart to God and talk to Him about what's wrong in our lives, but He always gets us to a place where we think better of it. Psalm 77, 1 through 3, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and my soul refused to be comforted. I remembered you, O God, and I groaned. I mused, and my spirit grew faint. Psalm 77 begins with a a lament and a cry out, a cry out. God loves it when you cry out. This poor man, David said, cried out, cried out unto the Lord, and the Lord heard him and delivered him out of all of his trouble. The cry out. When that time comes in your life that you're willing to cry out, Sometimes things have to get pretty bad before some of us will cry out. Sometimes almost the impossible has to happen before we're willing to cry out. But I want to tell you, when things start getting better, it's when you cry out. In clinical psychology, you have that what we call the redactive curve, where you go down, or something bad happens and it knocks you off your feet and the curve goes down. And then it'll bottom out somewhere and it will stay at that lower level until one thing happens. You know what it is? The cry out. When there's a cry out, immediately the line starts coming up. When you start saying, I need help. When you start saying, I'm not going to die like this. I'm not going to live the rest of my life like this and die like this. I'm not going to be miserable the rest of my life. I, I, somebody somewhere can tell me something. I can find somewhere where this, hallelujah, where this misery will be over and I can change things. And if I start looking for God to help me and I cry out to God and say, oh, God, I need your help. Oh, God, I need your help. Oh, God, I need your help. When the cry out comes, that's when the curve starts back up. And I want to tell some of you, you've been level-lined about long enough, haven't you? Isn't it time to cry out? Isn't it time to say, oh, Lord, have mercy on me? Isn't it time to say, let your loving kindness be, be multiplied unto me? Isn't it time to say, God, only you can fix what's wrong with me? Isn't it time to say, as long as I'm looking at other people, I'm going to always be disappointed? 
And Lord, help me get my eyes off of them and get my eyes on you. Help me, God, to get my eyes off of situations that I can't solve and get my eyes upon you. Help me, oh God, to get me, get me uh, mindful of God and get my mind off the troubles and the, and the disappointments and the mistakes and the shortcomings that I've had in my life. God, I'm ready for a change. God, I'm ready to do something else. Help me, God. Have mercy upon me. David got to that place. He said, cleanse me, O Lord. He said, know my heart today. Know my heart. Restore unto me the joy. Yes, I did something that was wrong. I did something very bad. I took another man's wife and I committed adultery. When I found out she was going to have my baby, I had that husband of hers killed and brought him her over to my house to be my wife. But God, my sin is ever before me. I can't go on living like this. Would you restore the joy of your salvation to me? Would you help me get out of this pit that I'm in? Would you somehow help me get up and get going again? I'm as a dead man laying in the dust of the earth and I need, God, for you to touch me so badly. Create within me a right spirit. Put the joy of the Lord back in my heart. Lord, I remember how it used to be. Lord, I remember. Oh, my God, hallelujah. I remember. I remember. Hey, you ready to read that with me? Psalm 77, 4. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to talk. I didn't want to talk to anybody about it. It hurt so bad I didn't want to rehearse it with anybody. I'd done so many things that I'd made so many mistakes till I just didn't want to talk about it. I just didn't want to. He said, I, I, I was too troubled. I was too messed up. Have you ever been messed up? I was too messed up to even talk about it. I thought about the former days. I remembered how it used to be. I remember the years of long ago. I remember my song in the night. My heart mused and my spirit inquired. Notice now about the mental energy that's going on here. I want you to see the mind and the mental energy that's happening right here. He said, Lord, I remember. I had to get my mind to go. And I remember the former days. I remember the years of long ago. I mused and my spirit inquired. I remembered, I mused, I inquired so much so that I can't sleep and I can't speak. And then he gets into six of what we call rhetorical questions. Six rhetorical questions. And there's a paradynamic salvific shift that goes on right here in that, that, that one verse. Look at these six questions. Will the Lord reject forever? Is it always going to be this hard for me and you, God? I'm the guilty one. I, I, I'm the one that messed it up. You blessed me so you helped me so much. You elevated me to king of Israel. I fought giants. 
I've had great victories in my life. I've got great wealth. I've got many in my family. You've been so good to me. I'm the one that has messed it up. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all of time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion from me? Brother, those are six heart-aching, heart-breaking rhetorical questions. But it's exactly what was flowing out of his heart. He was a broken man. He was laying before the Lord, broken and undone before God. I'm so glad that the God I serve doesn't leave you laying there like that. The psalmist Asaph, he's filled with doubts and sleepless nights and loathsome weariness. The very thought of God is painful. His whole life has been defined by anguish and he longs for those days when life was a praise to God and victory was his companion. But now it seems that God has rejected him. And his unfailing love has failed and his limitless compassion has exhausted itself. Look at the, ver the 10th verse. Then I said, it is my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed. It is my grief. I mourn about it. It's my loss that I no longer have that relationship with him that I once had. The Bible says the way of a backslider slider is hard. The way of a transgressor is hard. Look at verse 10 through 15. But then I thought, praise God. Then I thought, that's where all the problem happens, isn't it? I thought. But then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I will remember. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I'll remember the things He supplied for me when I had nothing. I'll remember how He came to my rescue when nobody cared. I remember how He came and brought me life when I was sentenced to die. I remember how he paid the debt for me when I had no ability to pay. I remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles. Does that say miracles? I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate. What a great word. Brother, you're talking about getting you out of the doldrums. Meditation will get you out of the doldrums. And I'm not talking about transcendental medi meditations, and I'm not talking about the kind of meditations that you get from a, a clinician. The one I'm talking to you about is the one you get from God's Word. I said the meditation I, I, I've got for you is the one you get with God's Word. Psalm chapter 1 said, Blessed is that man. Blessed is that man who counsels not with the ungodly, and he doesn't stand in the way of sinners, doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful, but in his law doth he 
Did you say meditate? Doth he meditate day and night? And he shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water. His fruit shall put forth in its season. Whatsoever he putteth his hand to, it shall prosper. Meditation is good for you when you think on good things. For as a man thinketh, in his heart, so is he. You mean I can change things by, by thinking right? You mean that if I can adjust my thoughts, that things will improve for me? You mean that if I get rid of all the negative, pessimistic, negative things in my life and think on these things, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are holy, whatsoever things are right, you mean if I can just think on those things, it will change? I, I, I call it coffee. Coffee analysis to what God does for us in meditation. You see, every morning I get up and I go in there and I get that coffee beans put them in that little grinder that Debbie bought and put over there that I like ground already, but she brings beans. And I start grinding. You see, when you meditate on the Word of God, there's a brokenness that has to take place. There's a coming apart that has to take place. There's a grinding to powder that has to take place. One of those, you are everything, I am nothing. One of those, you must increase, I must decrease. Those beans have to become broken and they have to become powder almost. And then that water of the Word, it flows over those grounds and next thing you know, you've got coffee coming out on the other side. You see, when the Word of God gets in your mind and flows over all of that has been ground up, all of that that has been crushed, all of that that has been broken, then that, that, that coffee begins to accept the flavor and it, it begins to accept the color and it begins to accept the nature of the coffee. Hallelujah. You see, for God's Word to be absorbed into your, your nature, for the Word of God, you, there's got to be some meditation. Got to be some coffee meditation where the Word of God just flows all over your mind until it makes everything in it start flavoring like the Word of God is. Hallelujah. There's another process called the engrafted. Is it called engrafted word? The engrafted word where you take something, the fruit, the branch that has the fruit on it, and you graft it into the original vine. I'm told by those who do such things in horticulture that you can take up to four different fruit and attach to one tree. God's Word is like that. It doesn't just have one or two 
things that you need. It's got many things. And you can engraft them into your life because that's meditation upon the Word of God. When you meditate on the Word of God, it, it does something. It gives your mind a break from thinking about you. I said meditating on the Word of God gives your mind a break from thinking about you. Because if all you ever think of is you, and what you've got, and what you plan, and what you want, I'm preaching a whole lot better than y'all are shouting. You see, when you meditate upon God, it gives you a chance to stop thinking about all the problem and all of that and just take the things that God is showing you and that God is giving to you and He's helping you with. Then I thought, to this I will appeal, the years of the right hand of the Most High. Remember the deeds of the Lord. Your mighty to your ways, O God, are holy. Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is so great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among your people. Anybody here can say amen to that? With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. Now, what is he saying now? He's saying, you've done, done for me great things, and I remember those days, but I also am a Jew. I also am a tribe of Israel. I also am a person of covenant. And because I'm a person of covenant, all the promises of God are yea and amen. Because I'm a, a part of the covenant people, and I'm, I'm a, a child of Abraham, then I'm part of the history. And God, what all have you done for the family of Abraham? You first went out there and took them across the, the Red Sea. Our life trends in the direction of our dominant thoughts. When you start remembering and meditating and considering that God has brought you this far, that God has done miracles in your past, that God has blessed you in the past, and you confess that the holy God is a mighty God, and that He's a mighty God and He's a faithful God, and He's faithful to His people, and He redeems the descendants of Jacob, including Asaph, including Jerry Irwin, including Jerry Smith, including everybody in this room. Randy Ricketts, you're in that conclusion. Susan Jeffers, you're in that conclusion. Because God does it for His people. Does it for His people. And they that meditate upon the Lord and wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings, not be weary. What is the content of this psalmist's meditation? What he's thinking about is how God has delivered Israel so much. Obviously, he's recalling previous blessings, but he's meditating on the Scriptures, the Bible, the Word of God. More specifically, he's meditating on the story of God's redemption of the slavery in Egypt and the power of Pharaoh. Look at verse 16. I'm just about through, I promise. The waters saw, O God, the waters saw you and riffled. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The skies resounded with thunder. Your arrows lashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. 
your path led through the sea. Have you ever had God's path to lead you through an impossibility? Have you ever st stood on the banks of an impossibility? And God says, cross over. Cross over. How's that going to happen? I can't do anything about this impossibility that's here. But God, you're leading and your path is walk through this water, walk through this. Hallelujah. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. God was with you, but his footprints were not seen. Some of those times that you thought you were going it alone, God was with you, you just didn't see his footprints. Those times that God led you. He didn't leave you. He just didn't make a footprint. Glory to God. The Bible said He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. In fact, He leads me to the darkest picture of life. For yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. What are you doing sitting at the table with your enemy? But even when I'm sitting at the table with my enemy, God said, I will prepare a table before you. In the presence of your enemy. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely. Goodness and mercy. Shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What is that all about? That's about a shepherd. Your path led through the sea, way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. No wonder he's called that great shepherd of the sheep, because he leads. Where he leads, he feeds, takes care of his people. When we can't see the path, when we don't see the footprints, we have to trust the shepherd. He too was a descendant of, of Jacob. I'll close with this. Come on, Olivia. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. Boy, this is good stuff. I want you to make sure you're reading it with me. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb of God. And they cried out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. 
And then one of the elders asked me, Who are these? Where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over him, them, and never again will they hunger, and never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. Oh, weary pilgrim, just hang on. Don't give in to those feelings that would say you might as well quit. Don't give in to those feelings that would say throw in the towel. It's no use. Don't try anymore. Give it up and don't try to work it out anymore. It's, it's a lost cause. Don't you believe that lie of the devil for one minute? You're special in the eyes of God. He knows who you are. He knows what you're going through. He's able. He's present. He's on the scene. And He will today give you the victorious life of Christ. You can live it. You can experience. You can have it. Hey, some of you need to remember the former days. Some of you need to remember the miracles. Some of you need to remember, remember, remember how the Lord moved and how the Lord worked in your life. Stand with me, please, all over this place. There's coming a day when all will be made right. There's coming a day where no pain, no sorrow can ever come. There's coming a day when there's no pandemic, there's no heart attack, there's no diabetes. None of that stuff. For the former things are passed away. The former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. All things. Somebody say all things new. Brother, you're going to walk out this door today different. The rest of your life lies before you outside that door. You can walk out that door saying God is the strength of my life. You can walk out that door saying the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. You can walk out that door saying the Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I fear or of what shall I be afraid? The Lord is the strength of my life. Hey, you can walk out that door. Say, I am confident of this one thing, that He is able to keep what I commit to Him against that day. I want to tell you, God is on your side. Oh, it, it may be bleak. It, there may be thunder and lightning. There may be storm. There may be all kind of reasons that the devil would throw at you to say, uh, you're not going to make it. But I want to tell you, you are going to make it. The reason you're going to make it is Jesus is committed to getting you there. In fact, the Bible said He will not take His hand off of you until He presents you blameless in the presence of God. So you might as well throw that can't make it stuff in the trash can. 
You might as well just go ahead and flush all that, that stuff about, I'm not going to make it, I'm going to go under, other people can make it, but I can't do it. Hey, stop that mess. I said, stop that mess. And quit rehearsing that junk. And quit telling people about how bad it is. Tell Jesus. He said, tell me. Tell me. Let me in on what's going on in your life. Don't be so quick to call Aunt Sue. Hey, get your name on God's prayer book. Hallelujah. Sunday school, Sally, Helen, Holiness, and all of them. What, what's going on with you? Hey, did you hear I was talking to so-and-so? I was talking to so-and-so. She told me this and told me that. Can you believe that? Hey, you don't need to tell your troubles to somebody so they can throw it all over the place. God said, tell me. God said, tell me. Tell it to Jesus. Tell it to Him. Because He alone, He alone is the one who can do something about your dilemma. Yes, He can. Take the hand of that person beside you. Pray this prayer, Lord Jesus. I can't hear you. Dear Lord Jesus, in Your name, I take my stand. No weapon, no scheme, no device can separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And right now, in His presence, I pledge to you that I am a child of God and I have victory over all Everything, everything that the devil would use to destroy me. And in Jesus' name, one day, one day, I will stand in his presence, presented by Jesus, perfect, blameless, before the Father. And I declare that in Jesus' name, whose I am and who I serve. Amen and amen and amen. Praise God. Come on about 30 seconds worth. Best you got. Come on, best you got. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. All that is within me, bless His holy name. Thank you, blessed Lord. All your benefits, all your blessings, all the things that you do for us. Thank you for victory in Jesus. Thank you for the blood of Christ. Thank you for the mercy of God. Thank you for the grace. Thank you for the loving kindness. We bless your name, O Holy Spirit. We bless you. We bless you today. Hallelujah. God bless America, land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her. Through the night with the light from above, from the mountains to the prairies to the ocean, white with foam, God bless America, my home, sweet home. You have a great holiday week this week and enjoy your friends and your family. God go with you. Take the Word of God with you. It'll fight the battle for you. In Jesus' name, you're dismissed. Be friendly.